Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2 again. Actually, I'm laying some of the foundation of getting to the fourfold purpose of the church, which I have not done yet, but I'm heading there. Acts chapter 2, and if you notice that I'm just looking at one part of a passage of Scripture today, but I also will be looking in uh, Romans and um, also 1 Peter, so we're going to head there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we again look at the word of God, we are so thankful we are able to have it in our hand. We know, Lord, when, the, when this church, when you started the church and you poured out your spirit upon it, the promise of the Father came after you ascended into heaven. Um, then, Lord, something new happened. People began to receive the word of God and then receive the Holy Spirit and their whole outlook on life and eternity and salvation and God all changed. And it became clear. You convicted them of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. You brought them to see their need of Jesus Christ, even to those who rejected him. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at this passage and consider it this morning, that we would take seriously what you say in your word about doctrine. And I pray, Lord, as we begin to look at it, that we would understand it and appreciate it more than ever. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we have been, actually from last week to this week, we've been looking at what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live the Christian life after initial conversion. And we have seen that to be a Christian means that a person becomes new and undergoes a complete change, a change in their thinking, a change in their action, a change in their direction. And with this change, they were also moved from what they had been to what they are now. They now are joined to the church and now constantly found together with all who have believed in the same message about Jesus Christ. Now, this was very unusual, especially when we look at, I mean, in the first chapter of Acts, where it gives all these different kind of people groups, they would never get together for anything, let alone to now study the Word of God. Simply put, these first Christians had become a gathering together type of people. And that's what Christians actually become. As all other true Christians have done since then. So the real first indication of new divine life is drawing together 
the drawing together of God's people who have this life in common with them. The epistle of Jude in chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Actually, that word common is the Greek word koine, which we get koine Greek from. And koine means a common language, the, the Greek language commonly spoken and written in the Near East in the Hellenistic and Roman periods. So, in other words, if people wanted to buy or sell or do their business, they would speak in the market language, in a common language or dialect, so that everybody understood. And that's exactly what the New Testament was written in. It was written in Koine Greek, a common language, so everybody could understand it. And today, of course, translated into other languages, we do the same thing. We translate it into the language of the people so they could understand. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to understand. So likewise, Christians have a common faith, a faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. In other words, the apostles' doctrine, which all real Christians can hold and measure what they believe. That these newfound believers, they don't go back to their old religious systems. They don't go back to try to fix them or rescue them. No, they leave it all together and instead gather with God's true children and follow Jesus Christ and his teaching. And these are not people who merely go to church occasionally or people who go to church because they have no better thing to do or go to church because it's a mere social custom, as could be the case sometimes in even different regions of the United States, nor do we see among these first believers a reluctant assembly. They are not dragging themselves to Sunday morning worship and hope and pray that it will not be too long, and in particular the sermon, you will not find that attitude among these new believers. And that is the attitude we all need to have all the time, no matter how long you've been a believer. But sometimes we get stale and stagnant. We do. So, so there's a priority that this first church had. They were to be devoted to the apostles' teaching or doctrine. Now, Doctrine or the word teaching is used not to distinguish it from understanding, knowledge, wisdom, art, prudence, since these belong to every systematic body of knowledge and they characterize theology above all. Rather, the word doctrine 
is used to signify that theology, that theology is a body of knowledge that does not originate in nature. It does not originate in human investigation, as other disciplines do. It originates in divine revelation and authorization. That's always been the case in Scripture. We go back to Isaiah chapter uh, 51, and we find Isaiah saying this, teaching shall proceed from me. God is saying that to Jeremiah. The doctrine shall proceed from me. It shall come from heaven down to earth. It doesn't originate on earth. And even when uh, we come into the, the New Testament, we find in other places that, like in Galatians, where it says the gospel is not according to man, for it did not, it did not receive, he did not receive it from man, nor was it taught by man, but it came through revelation. It came from heaven to earth. And then even when Peter gave that great pronouncement in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to him that you are the Son of God, right? And he said back to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So it didn't come or originate from man. It came from heaven to man and from God. And then Timothy, Paul tells Timothy the doctrine in 1 Timothy 6.3, the doctrine that accords with godliness. In other words, the, the teaching that comes from heaven to us, now inscripturated in the word of God and given to us, should lead us not only to salvation in Jesus Christ, but to godliness. And false teachers, their teaching cannot lead to godliness. It cannot lead to holiness. Only God's word could lead there. So, at this particular point, we find here that we have already seen the, that real Christians experience their change in position. They go from one place to another, from not being a believer to becoming a believer, and then they have new priorities that they never had before. But there's a third thing in, in verse number 42 that I will stress this morning, and it's that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, the third characteristic common among the experience of real Christians all the time, not just here in Acts, all the time, everywhere the gospel is preached, is that there'll be a change that takes place in their desire. They will be devoting themselves, it says there. Anyone who continually devotes themselves to anything, something, they have to have a desire to do so. So it was the apostles' doctrine, the doctrine of Christ and God's salvation that just delivered them from the false teaching of their day, the blindness that they had, the deception that they were steeped in, and the deadness that was in their own heart. 
to a place where now they desired something they'd never really desired before or the way they now desire it. The psalmist grew to love God's word. And it said there he began to desire it. David began to desire it where David pens, the psalmist pens in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. Now, if you, if you just consider that for a moment, that's an exclamation of wonder. And actually, in that, that passage of Scripture, it's a, a simple Hebrew verb that means the human love or appetite an individual has for God's law, for revelation that comes from God to man. Of course, that is in the Torah, and the Torah is the divine teaching or the teaching that is from God, revelation of the will of God for the life of man. That's what the Word of God is. It points to the didactic or the teaching nature of Scripture. God dispenses true doctrine to humanity concerning at least four areas of life. What we should believe? What kind of character we should cultivate? How we ought to live? And the direction a believer's life should actually take? Where am I heading? I become a Christian. Where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be thinking? Where's the difference between what I was doing before I became a believer and what I am now doing as a believer. So the real child of God loves the word of God. They live in it as if he or she could not live without it and views it as spiritual food and medicine to their soul. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. See, again, you see this delight coming out, this joy coming out, this love for God's revelation coming out of people that have life that has come from God. And really, theology is the doctrine, the doctrine of being alive to God. That's what it's all about. I was dead to God before, but now I'm alive to God. And because I'm alive to God, now when God speaks, man, I am listening. I am all ears. I am not distracted. I don't want to be pulled away from that. I want to hear what God says. If there's anything more important to hear is what God says about things, right? Because you know what? God tells the truth. He tells it just just the way it is, just like it's supposed to be. And when you hear that truth, truth has a way of ringing in your ears that you cannot argue with. An unreconciled sinner has no love for God's law, for God's word. They do not think of it, and when they are confronted with God's design 
of the law, the unsaved will hear. It only condemns, condemns them in their sin and for their sin. But they never stay long enough unless the God's working on them to say, wow, this could be the first step that moves me toward the Lord in faith and salvation. Because God tells us about ourselves first, which is not a pretty picture. And when we see that, and we see ourselves just the way we are, then that's when we see our need of God. So if a person truly loves something, they will spend time with it. Is that not true? If you love the Word of God, you will love the whole of the Word of God, and you will hold to its obligations and as well as its privileges. And so the bottom line is, if you love something, then you will commit to it. You will spend time with it. As the scriptures put it right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you will be devoted to it. See, that word devotion is, you say, I have devotions. Well, that word doesn't really stress this word here of being devoted, that real Christians do not simply try God, and if it doesn't work, they go back to their old way of life again. No, they become new. And now that they know their need for God and his word, just like fish need, the fish need water in order to live, and a tree needs soil in order to grow. So in our passage, we see that there's new bents the Holy Spirit of God puts in a believer's heart that really never changes. It just expands and grows. And what's the first one? Well, it says there in verse number 42 that the several things that real Christians have a new bent to continually devote themselves to New daily priorities. It says, for they were continually devoting themselves. In other words, these people continued steadfastly every day. In other words, they were giving priority to something that they never gave priority to before. Associating with other Christians became the center of their lives. The greatest joy for these new believers was to meet together. They had become members of the same family. They were drawn together because of one person, Jesus Christ. Their eyes were open to the truth. Their minds were now, their minds now had a bent toward God's truth and biblical priorities. So when they, when a, a believer, someone becomes a real believer, their desire changes. They desire to follow Christ. They desire to please him. They desire to fellowship around him and with other believers of like faith. They desire to pray to him. They desire to learn about him by continually devoting themselves to the community of other believers all around the same thing. They now were joined together after initial conversion 
became members of the Christian church. Now, why did they assemble to meet? What was the first and primary thing they gathered to do? Well, verse 42, here is very common language. They were continually devoting themselves again to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to learn as much as they could about what the apostles received from God and how it gave light to the Old Testament. Acts 2.41 tells them, so then those who received the word, they now received the word in the initial message of salvation, and now they couldn't get enough of the word of God. In other words, they wanted sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. They didn't want an, another word from a man or some philosopher or from some scribe or for, from some religious Jewish leader or from some prophet who was claiming to hear from God and it was just nothing but hocus pocus. They wanted and they got a taste of revelation that came from heaven and when you get a taste of that, you want more. And you cannot go back. There's no, nothing to go back to once you get a hold of it. See, sound doctrine, that's what they wanted. The apostles' teaching, that is what all real and true Christians want. The church is supposed to exist, to be the place where you receive divine truth, where people can grow through the unfolding or exposition of God's word. That's why we meet together. That's the main purpose. This is the priority. We can never let this one thing go by the wayside to the left or to the right. It always must be central. And that's very basic to our Christian life. But you know what? We constantly need to be reminded about it. Because you go places and you find out it's not about the Word of God. It's not about doctrine. Doctrine's almost a dirty word today. It is about all kinds of other good things, but it's not about God's priority that we need the most. Because if we're going to grow, we have to grow by the word of God. You cannot grow by anything else. There's no other way to grow. Now, a second, a second thing to observe in verse 42 is that real Christians had a bent for a continual need for more of the apostles' teaching. Here we is a very important fact that genuine conversion manifests itself in a person by newfound desires for a knowledge of the truth. One simply cannot be a Christian and have no desire for a knowledge of this truth. It is impossible. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that. I want to read that again. One simply cannot be a Christian and have no desire for a knowledge of this truth. It is impossible. In other words, if you do not desire the word of God, you are not a Christian. I didn't say that. The word of God actually says that. 
Now, why do Christians want this doctrine? Well, because the life of God is in their soul. And the Spirit of God indwells them. They have now a new appetite for spiritual things. One thing in particular. What does the Bible say? That's what they want. A new appetite for spiritual growth and nourishment. Now, if you take your Bibles, just turn it over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. I was looking at this passage when I was preaching through that, but so some of you should remember what the Apostle Peter instructed us concerning a believer's new connection with the Word of God. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You may grow in respect to salvation. So here is given the most instinctive characteristic about a newborn baby. Well, any newborn baby. What does a newborn baby want? They want milk. They don't understand why they want milk. They are born alive with this strong, strong desire for their mother's milk. If a baby doesn't have this desire, well, then we start asking, what's wrong? The baby will not grow and stay alive if they don't have milk. It's exactly the same with real Christians. Because of their new life in Christ, they long for, it says in 1 Peter 2.2, they long for and must listen to and drink in the pure milk of the word. So in other words, soon as somebody comes a believe, becomes a believer and trusts Christ in their life, the first desire the Spirit of God gives them is, I want milk. I want milk. And what do they mean? I want the milk of the apostles' teaching of the Word of God. I want it. They do not want any substitutes. They do not want any old junk food or fast food. No, they want the apostles' teaching. Newly born Christians only know they want unadulterated spiritual food. If they don't get it at first, well, the Spirit of God has a way of bringing it to them or getting them to it. And when they find it, they will drink away because it is so wonderful and they are afraid of missing out on any of it. Um, Calvary Community Church has been and is passionately committed to helping Christians grow in knowledge, wisdom, and discernment through the systematic expositional teaching of God's Word because that is the only thing that God uses to grow people spiritually. But on the other hand, what happens if you have been a Christian for some time and that desire is no longer there? Thank the Lord, the Word of God also addresses that issue. Just like in this 
physical realm, when someone loses their desire for food, we start looking for sickness, for disease. We look for the root of what is causing the loss of desire for life-sustaining food. In a similar vein, in the spiritual realm, when one loses their desire for drinking down the Word of God, for desiring spiritual food, we should start looking for some spiritual sickness, for some sin, and wrestle down the root of what is causing the loss of desire for life-sustaining spiritual food only found in the Word of God. If anyone is in this condition today, or if you find yourself in this condition sometime in the future, then there are at least five things to look for. Five things that could actually rob you of your desire for the Word of God. The first thing is found right in First Peter, in chapter 1, verse 23, it says, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Now, the first reason would be that you lay aside your Bible and you stop going back to the source of your new life. Because the source of my conversion was the Scripture, the source of my growth is the Scripture. At at any place, I can neglect God's Word. I can get busy in my life, and you can too. And all of a sudden, I have good intentions, but I have not really been spending time in the Word of God, thinking about it, meditating upon it, listening to it. I have been doing other things that are important in my life and I think considered good, but what happened along the way is that it moved you aside from your Bible and from the very source of life God's given us to, to, to sustain growth. A second thing found in 1 Peter 2.1, you stop taking sin seriously so you become careless in putting off sin. Verse number 1, therefore, Put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. In other words, what's going to rob you of your desire? Sin. Here, malice could also be that evil or wickedness. Some, some, you're angry or hateful for some reason, and it has consumed your heart. And then, these are not all the sins, but these are sins that really include many other kinds of sins. All deception, that that could be just simply a double-mindedness. James says if you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. Or the next one, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy simply, you know, hypocrisy, you know what happens in hypocrisy? Your heart grows cold to God, and you begin to question God. Lord, why this in my life, and why that in my life? And, and it, you go on in this, this long uh, avenue or street of questioning God about everything, like somehow God gave you the short end of the stick, and you end up being hypocritical, just going through the motions with, with no passion and desire to live for the Lord. And then envy. 
you want what others have. That means you maybe greed has, has come into your heart and you have departed from your desire for the word and now your desire for wealth and things and money and whatever money and that wealth and those kind of things can do for you. So you stop taking sin seriously. There's no desire for the word when you sin, especially when it's not dealt with. So you got to keep getting that out of your life. You got to take off sin, put sin to death, and then put on righteousness, put on the opposite of what that sin that you were committing. So if you don't put off your sin, that means you love your sin, at least for the meantime, more than you love God and his word. And then, number three, you stop admitting you still need the word of God. It says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. This is not just for, this verse is not just for, hey, I just became a believer and I want milk. No, this is a desire that believers should have all the time throughout their whole Christian life. A desire just like a baby for the milk of his uh, the milk of the word of God, that that desire never goes away. And then a fourth thing is that you just stop pursuing spiritual growth. It says in verse number 2 of First Peter 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the world, so that the result, by it you may grow in respect to salvation. See, what happens is that when you get caught into any of these, you just drift away. There's a lack of nourishment that leads to poor spiritual health. So growing in spiritual maturity means you're practicing, you're disciplining yourself in holiness and godliness. You're learning to live as a soldier in the midst of battle. And one thing a soldier does when especially when he's ready for battle, is he's always ready. He doesn't have the privilege to take off his armor, to lay down his weapon. And that's where God grows believers, to realize we will always be in a spiritual battle while we're on this earth. But that's where it makes us strong. The battle makes us strong. And the battle drives us to yearn more for the word of God because we realize in life and in battle we need God's wisdom. And then also in 1 Peter 2, verse 3 and 5, we stop remembering how good God is and whose family we represent. It says in verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, the end of verse 3, and coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So sometimes a true believer will fail. Have I had times of coldness, times of not having a desire for the word as I should have? Yes, I have. 
thank the Lord it, it, it was always short-lived because it, it, not too much time goes by and you realize I need it. I need to hear from the Lord. I need to hear from his word. So the regular direction of your life is always to want the word of God, to say no to the flesh as much as possible so the word of God can have priority. Because you do have to overcome your flesh, don't you? Because your flesh don't even want to get up on Sunday morning or any morning, especially when you have to do something, you have responsibility. You want to roll over in that nice bed, you know, you put a little stop on your little alarm, and you just roll over just another few minutes, and you bask in another few minutes, right? That's what, you, that's what the flesh wants to do. The Spirit of God is saying, get up. Get out there. Get in the battle. Get in the Word. That's what he's prodding us to do. So be sure of this, brethren. You are not done with Scripture's after you make an initial profession of faith. You must receive confirmation of your profession of faith as to its genuineness. I can't give you assurance of salvation. The Word of God can, because the Word of God is using, the Spirit of God is using the Word of God to bring you to a place to give you assurance of your salvation. Just like it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And do we need to know that? Yes, we need to know that every day, that we're children of God. And therefore, because we are children of God, then we ought to live as children of God. So once you are confident that you are a Christian and that you see some spiritual fruit, you're not done with scriptures at that point. The Spirit of God also has, has to begin to transform your mind. The Spirit of God's tool for transformation is the very Word of God, that He must correct how wrong you and I have been about most things and all things spiritual. He must, through his word, teach you how to worship. And that's the first purpose of the church that I'm heading to, to worship God. Didn't know how to worship God before I became a Christian. Why? Because I didn't know who God was. You can't worship something you don't know. And then I find out who God is and, and what he's done and, and how he, he demonstrates his love toward us and how kind and compassionate he is, but also a God of justice, that he's not going to let things slide. I began to now know who God is, and then as I know who God is, I began to learn how to worship him and really thank him and really know that anything you and I have, it's because of God. It's because of the Lord giving you that as a gift. And he hasn't he doesn't give, give the same gifts and talents to all people alike, all different varied colored trial, I mean, uh, gifts and talents that he gives to different people for his own sake and his own glory. He has to teach us how to pray, how to witness, how to love God and people, 
how to put off sin and put on righteousness, how to live righteously in this world while we're here so that we will learn how to be faithful servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we will do what God wants us to do while we're here. So see, you're never done with the holy writings. You're never done hearing God speak through the word of God. Never, never done. That is why this passage of Scripture is so important to you and I because we must continually give ourselves over to its reading, to its study, to its hearing, to its meditation, that the Scriptures will build you and I up and make us stable and strong. That's what Dr. Luke in the book of Acts wrote to us. In Acts 20, 32, where it says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, all those who have been set aside to God in, uh, in his kingdom and brought from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, which now we occupy the church of Jesus Christ. So a citation from Christian Johnson's book, Men of Integrity, said a Bible that's falling apart probably belongs to someone who isn't. Now let me ask you, since you made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, has your Bible become your close companion? Is your Bible well-worn because of constant use? Because every time the preacher says, turn this to this passage, you're turning. Even if you know that passage, even if you memorize that passage, you're turning there because you want to follow the flow of things. You want to, because really listening to preaching that is verse by verse or expository, book by book, you have to get into the, the movement of things. You can't sit there like a bump on a log. You've got to start thinking. You've got you to start wiping the sleep from your eyes and start listening and thinking and engaging your mind through moving through the scriptures. See, are you picking it up every day and reading it? It should be the goal of every Christian to wear out their Bibles. Your Bible should not rot out. It should wear out. Things that wear out wear out because of use. Things that rot is because of lack of use. Of course, these days, many people have moved away from paper Bibles. So I must admonish you also to wear out your cell phones, your iPads, your computers, and and wear them out because you're using them daily for Bible reading, for Bible study, for Bible searches, for sermon note-taking, Wear it out. Not because I say so, but because you have come to desire it and long for it and love it. That's why. I'm still considering, in my thinking, having a paper Bible Sunday. That on a particular Sunday, you leave all your electronics home all of it, cell phones, iPads, whatever you bring, and leave it in your car, leave it at home, 
We're going to be checking you at the door. <laughs> I want to see your paper Bible. Right? There's something about when a whole bunch of people do this. You can't hear that on your phone when it's sliding your finger on it. doesn't even squeak on this new glass. See, engaging yourself in the Word of God, that, that, that's what is important here. Man, this is as basic as you're going to get. But you know what? I need to hear it. You need to hear it. And we need to tell it to other people. So just as you develop appetite over time for certain kinds of food, as a Christian, you develop appetite for a particular spiritual food. And it's only found in the Word of God. It's only found in the Word of God. Now, that brings me to another passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1 and 2, because, again, in, in this great book on doctrine, probably the heaviest doctrine in all the Bible is found right here in Romans, right? And then he gets to chapter 12. And what does he say in chapter 12, verse 1? He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says this, don't be conformed, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. All right? The renewing of your mind. So in other words, this new appetite that the Spirit of God gives us at conversion that continues throughout our Christian life is for spiritual development and transformation to a certain goal. It's leading us to a certain goal. It's not just filling our minds with knowledge and facts. No, it's leading us to a personal relationship with God. Right? And here it says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's really to... This word transform is to assume an outward expression that reflects what is deep within. The process takes place in our minds for it is our thought life that controls our attitudes, our feelings, and our actions. So we are, we are to let our lives be changed from the inside out. And brethren... How much our minds were opposed to God. When we study the word of God, we find out how much we were opposed to God. In everything we thought almost, in everything we did. It wasn't about God, it was about me. It was about you. John Calvin said this, Indeed, nothing can be more true than that the renewal of the mind is necessary for successful inquiry to every part of the will of God. The natural man is in everything opposed to the mind of God. So here is a renewal of a believer's mental powers that our whole body life is to be evidenced of a constant interchange. And it's actually the Greek word metamorphosis. All right? It, it means to be changed in form, 
to be transformed or changed in character. It's, it's the kind of change the Holy Spirit wishes to work in the life of the believer. But to do it, he must have control of the body and free access to the mind. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God wants to etch the likeness of Jesus Christ into all of our characters. We live in a, a, a modern day, there's a lot of modern day medical marvels that we, we, we see right before our eyes. And one such marvel to me was uh, the hip replacement surgery or the knee replacement surgery or the whatever shoulder replacement so surgery. I, I, it's amazing uh, that doctors can actually go in there and do those kind of things. Usually surgery is needed, especially in a hip replacement, because a person's joint has worn to the point where there is no more cartilage. So it's bone on bone, and it becomes very painful, and the person starts to walk with a limp and then finally has to use crutches. And if they don't do something about it, it almost debilitates their whole life. They become crippled. But thanks to modern-day surgery, a person can have a hip replacement and quickly recover and move around again, sometimes better than before or better than many years before that. However, some people, months after surgery, are still limping along. The phenomena usually has nothing to do with the failure of the surgery. It has to do with the failure of the mind. In other words, the mind has to be trained. The mind has been trained to expect pain. For a long time, it was expecting pain. So the person limps in anticipation even when there's no pain. So usually somebody goes back to the doctor and says, Doc, you know, I, I had this operation and I'm still limping. He does the examination, takes the x-rays. He says, there's nothing wrong with your hip. It's all in your head. And so what happens is that the brain needs to be retrained to line up with the new normal. And the new normal is no pain. And usually once a person gets it, they get up, they start walking, they have no problem. So when God has given you and I new life, the old one's gone, along with all the sinful things you've done, thought, or said, you have been forgiven. You're a brand new creation, the Bible says, but you limp around for a while until you have a change in thinking. You limp around in your old sin. And then you come to Romans chapter 6, and the Bible says, consider, think, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Oh, I get it. The Spirit of God is doing this in my life. He wants me to think and consider every day that sin has no more authority over me. Temptation, I can be tempted day and night, but when it comes down to that 
worm on the hook, dangling that sin on the hook, dangling before you eyes, I can actually say, no, I don't want it. Because it doesn't please my Lord, and it doesn't lead me to the place where I'm going to grow spiritually and become strong as a believer. So I don't want it anymore. And then all of a sudden you realize that God's given me the authority to say no to sin. And then you don't stop limping anymore. You don't stop doubting anymore. You actually gain confidence to live boldly your Christian life and to get up on your own two feet and live with gusto for Christ. You become someone who is is living it and speaking it. So you stop limping around. Why? Because you have a change in thinking. That's what Romans is telling us here. This It's accomplished by the renewing of one's mind. That's what it says in Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the mind is the organ of moral thinking and knowing. And when it is renewed, it no longer thinks or understands or judges as it once did. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. We will no longer fit in to the mold of this world and its ways and its thinking. But with increasing insight into the divine perspective, because we have been in the Word of God and the apostles' teaching, our whole outlook and our whole experience will change. So why doesn't a Christian think as they once did? Well, because his mind is being transformed. It's being renewed by the word of God. He stops limping and stumbling. He begins to mind, and you and I begin to mind the things of the Spirit, which we never minded before. And we also... Stop minding the flesh as we always minded before. And so, in other words, the flesh, the flesh's voice becomes dim and distant, and God's voice becomes stronger and clearer. And we every day we wake up and we have this, this clarity we never had before. And what happens is it's because you've been in the Word of God. You've been exposed to the Word of God that we were captive conformists to the world system and its belief. And that is why Scripture gives Christians a command to be careful not to do something in verse number 2 of Romans 12. It says, do not be conformed to the world, to this world. Now, here's here's an interesting Greek word. And it means this, this word conform means a fashioning of something by using a shaped container, a form or a mold. Now, I guess the translators had a hard time translating this passage of Scripture because some used it in the middle tense. And the middle tense would, would mean this, to conform oneself to, to change one's behavior to be like. That's the middle. But also it's used in the passive sense. The passive sense would, would be translated like this, allow oneself to be changed, to be like 
to be conformed to, to be like someone or something, all right? Now, I would say that's a great problem because actually both of them come together. One translation put it like this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So the transforming of the mind is so the will of God or what is willed by God can be apprehended. I said not too long ago that we have a new appetite for spiritual development and transformation toward a certain goal. What's the goal? Well, the goal is is found in verse number 2, so that, verse 2, so that, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That is the goal. You know what the goal is? The goal is that God would transform your mind to move your will. See, the problem is our will. Along with our mind, we we had a lot of problems. (laughs) But God's correcting those problems. As long as you give yourself to the right stuff and to good spiritual food, you will grow in Christ. See, the transforming of the mind is so the will of God or what is willed by God can actually be apprehended and done. In other other words, to to be understood and done. Only a yielded will can desire, discover, and choose God's will. In other words, we are now willing conformists, no longer to the world and its system, no longer to the God of this age, no longer to the will of our own flesh, but we are now conformist to the apostles' doctrine, and that is what changes my mind and your mind because the apostles' doctrine has a divine source to it. It is not; It has no human source to it. It's like what Second Peter says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The revelation came from God to us, and that is what grow, is growing us. So the renewed mind tests out the will of God. That I may prove what the will of God is. It's saying there in Scripture, you can know God's will. That's the question all the time. What's God's will? You can know God's will. Now, I I do want to clarify that because it's the revealed will of God you can know. The prescriptive will of God you can know. You cannot know the secret will. of I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know how long I'm going to live or you're going to live. That's God's secret will. He's in charge of all those things. It says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. 
So, in other words, the Bible is prescriptive. It's like you go to the doctors, and the doctor says, okay, you have this wrong with it. Here's a prescription, right? And you go take the prescription. Well, here's the prescription. This, the, the word of God is something we can understand. And the more you're in it, the more you understand of it. And the more you're in it and understand it, the more you obey it. Maybe the dilemma of most Christians today is that they're so worried about the future and about the secret things of God, like who and what and where and when. I don't know those things. You don't either. Don't worry about those things. You get yourself in the Word of God. Let the Word of God transform your mind, and you will find out more about yourself. You'll find out more about who God is and what he desires for his children. And then, of course, the goal is also for service, for you to now serve in the body that's meeting together to hear the apostles' doctrine and fellowship with one another and do what God wants you to do with your spiritual gift, your divine, miraculous spiritual gift he has given you. Use it in the body. That's what he wants. That's where it's all heading. So instead, the Christians should be asking and answering questions in league with their dedication to God, such as how to test the will of God. It's a good question to find out what is revealed in God's word. We can ask things like, is the thing really good for us and glorifying to my Lord? Is the thing I'm going to do well-pleasing to God? My attitudes, my thoughts, my feelings, my motives, my actions, as it says in the word of God. Am I being transformed in that way, from the inside out? I'm different. Or is it is what I'm going to do, is it complete in and of itself? In other words, is it something that will bring about Christ's likeness in my life? Or will it hinder my growth in godliness and Christ likeness? See, if we ask some of those questions, we're going to find out, I don't want to do those things anymore. I'm done with it. The word is the criterion and measuring stick for knowing what is good well-pleasing, and advances maturity. It was C.H. Lenski in his commentary. He says, we discover from his word alone, and we subject all our own conceptions of what is good for us, pleasing to him and complete wholly to that word. Everything tested without the word is deceptive and wrong. So the renewed mind does not want to disregard God's will. It wants to know it, and it wants to do it. So in other words, the church exists in order to help Christians understand the truths of Scripture and the methods and behaviors to live them out. That's why we're here. It starts with, after initial conversion, a desire. God gives you the apostles' teaching, doctrine, and it is what must be our, at least for a church, it must be prioritized, we must continue in it, and we must be devoted to it together. 
This is not an individual pursuit. This is a congregational pursuit. We're all to do that together. And so you have this body of believers that are, are they're being transformed and growing in the truth of God's word. They become the light in a community and where God plants them to a dark world where they take the gospel now out to those who haven't heard it yet. So what is a church? If a church, a church is a place of, that we, uh, we find true hope, a place where we can connect with God, a place that we connect with other people of the faith, and a place where we are all encouraged by the truths of Holy Scripture. And then we go out and we live it. That's really what we ought to be doing. And if we come back to the book of Acts, that's exactly what they did. And it's, it could be understand and, and be done. So I pray that as we just look at these things, that you will... Look at yourself, examine yourself, and see where you're at. And um, then come, and if you identify anything in your heart and life that has quenched that desire for the Word of God, then confess it. And if you don't see it, ask God to show it to you. Because we all have to have, have, to have that desire all the time desire for God's word and the study of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Lord, your kindness to us in allowing us to know the word of God and have part of it, hear it, read it. I pray, Lord, that we would all this morning take it seriously, that we would be honest with ourselves because we know, Lord, many have been exposed to the Bible, yet it still remains to them one of the least understood books in the world. So I pray, Lord, we would all come to the place to know that the Bible is a clear, dynamic, intriguing, fearsome, and life-changing book, which brings its readers face-to-face -face with the infinite and almighty Creator. The Bible teaches us that Christianity is not so much a religion as it is a vital relationship with the only perfect human who is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And Lord, I pray that as we go out into the world that we would be people who exemplify an understanding of the Word of God so we would be carrying out the will of God. And I prayed this this morning for all of us, today and forever, in Christ's name, amen.